Hey, it's Karen Hunter from the Karen Hunter Show on Sirius XM Urban View. Here's a highlight from today's show. Let me welcome someone to the show that I'm really interested to hear his perspective. Former federal prosecutor for 30 years, trial experience, served as a U.S. attorney's office uh, for the District of Columbia for 24 years, um, was the chief of homicide there, uh, did a lot of things on MSNBC, NBC's on air legal and analyst, teaches criminal justice at George Washington University, uh, and has a podcast, Justice Matters, with Glenn Kirshner. Let me welcome Glenn Kirshner to the Karen Hunter Show. Hi. Hey, Karen. Happy to be with you. Good to see you. Good to have you. Uh, we were having a, a lively conversation about the state of our union. I am concerned, you know, um, more concerned than I was four years ago because now levers of power in these state houses with these state legislatures from Mississippi to Arkansas, which has a governor as well as Texas and Florida, Tennessee calling for not just a firing squad, but maybe we can hang people. Uh, it is to me really, really dangerous where we are. And there are a lot of people uh, on the bandwagon. And the fact that Trump got more votes the second time after we went through a pandemic of disaster with the, with the chloride, with the bleach and all of that, more people showed up to vote for him. I'm not optimistic about where we are right now. Are you? Yeah, the state of the union is precarious and the outcome is uncertain. Um, And I agree with you. We've got these runaway state legislatures that think they can do anything they darn well please, trying to deny folk their right to vote, trying to deny women their right to any bodily autonomy or, you know, decision making over their own reproductive rights. I mean, I I don't want to get my blood pressure going right away. But when you have a Supreme Court that revoked women's constitutional privacy rights that had been in place for 50 years after those judges promised us in their Senate confirmation hearings that they, you know, Roe has nothing to worry about from me. Settled precedent, starry decisis. I love me some Roe v. Wade. Just put me on the Supreme Court. The minute they got on the Supreme Court, they walked Roe v. Wade deep into the woods and killed it dead, which put the lie, Karen, it put the lie to their confirmation testimony. And the reason I say the State of the Union is precarious and the ending is unwritten. Things are uncertain. It's because we have thus far let those people of privilege, let the ruling class criminals get away with those lies. 4,500 tips about Kavanaugh's unsuitability to serve on the Supreme Court, uninvestigated. We're letting them get away with their lies. And I have to tell you, I thought it was gonna get better when President Biden took over I thought perhaps naively, now we're actually going to get after the ruling class criminals. Who are we getting after? We're getting after the boots of the insurrection, the people Donald Trump lied to and said, go attack the Capitol or you won't have a country anymore. That's all we're doing. No. How about we go after the command structure of the insurrection who gave the order to attack? And if we don't do that soon, then we are lost. Then we will not keep, I believe we will not keep our republic. I agree. Maybe we don't deserve a republic. Maybe, maybe this is- We deserve, we deserve it. I'm going to say why we don't. I'm going to say why we don't, Glenn Kirshner. As an American citizen, uh, grandfather fought, uh, uncle fought, uh, was in the military for 30 plus years, 
family members. I'm not even going to go into Tuskegee, World War II, not one without black people, black soldiers, Civil War, not one without Africans freeing themselves. Uh, one would even argue about the actual Revolutionary War. First person killed was Christmas addicts. We we are in we are part of the fabric of this country. I don't believe Betsy Ross sold that flag, sold the flag. I think it was an unenslaved black person, but that's neither here nor there. I'm going to say the reason why we probably never had, why the, the Republic, this democracy was alive from the beginning, because when, when those framers of the constitution wrote, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal endowed with inalienable rights to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. They were all enslaving people and they knew it was wrong, Right. So the hypocrisy started from the beginning. And unless we start with a new constitution, we're going to always kind of be putting salve on cancer. That's where we are. So we've never admitted that this country was founded in hypocrisy and in blood and in genocide, enslavement and dehumanizing and lies. We've never had that conversation. And now they're trying to erase it from schools. Yeah, I I mean... We know it. I I think most thinking people know it. I think people who lean forward um, and embrace things like empathy and kindness and diversity and inclusivity, just plain old decency. I think they know it. I think we know it. That's why I say I think we deserve the republic that we know we can have. But we (laughs) I'll put myself in the category. We are not the ones who are. Um, not making the rules, but refusing to apply the rules as they should be applied to everybody because they're not being applied to the ruling class criminals, to the American oligarchy. And unless and until we get right with that, well, then no, we're not going to have the republic that I do think we deserve. You and I, yes, and the people listening, yes, we the people, we the people in order to form a more perfect union, we do deserve better, but we also must demand better, right? So I feel like, you know, we have abdicated our power to the ruling class. We've allowed for them to divide us uh, um, by by race, by creed, by, you know, by any means necessary. We've allowed ourselves to otherize other people to buy into a system because it gives us just a little bit more benefit. Well, at least it's not me. And I can always move out of harm's way, right? Those who can. So I'm I'm ask you because you know this I think we're at a really serious um come to Jesus moment in our nation's history. <laughs> and I'm using that on purpose. How do we hold this system accountable? How do we force, you know, because if if anything I hear I I have listeners who believe the Democrats are just like the Republicans. I don't believe that. I don't get into party partisan politics. I think we're dealing with power. So I believe anybody in power wants to stay in power. Before you came on, someone said, "Well, what about Gavin Newsom uh running against Joe Biden?" Gavin Newsom actually wants to be president. He could not be president if he primaries Joe Biden. There's too much at stake. So he's going to get in line. Because the power is more important than actually running for something that matters. What are your thoughts on that? What will it take for these people, the Trumps, the folk in Congress who who now have the power? <laughs> the people who fomented this insurrection now have even more power than they had two years ago. How, how do we hold them accountable? Yeah, I mean, it, it typically all falls to the vote. But when our votes are not respected... Well, then voting enough, uh, voting alone is not necessarily enough. Trump and his criminal cabal, right? He, that, that whole command structure of the, uh, the insurrection, 
did their damnedest to try to uh, take our vote away from us and install uh, a, a president unconstitutionally for a second term. You know, if the vote is not enough, I, I, I hate to think, you know, what is the next step beyond, you know, I, I will say, Karen, I have had in the back of my head for years now um, the line from the Beatles song, you say you want a revolution? You know, and I don't advocate violence as a political tool. But here's the thing. If our vote alone is not enough because it's not going to be respected, well, then somebody please tell me what is the next step beyond that? You know, I, I think fundamentally the one thing that we have to see if we have any hope of moving forward is accountability for the folk who just committed you know, big ticket crimes against we the people in violation of the laws of the United States. When you commit a federal crime, you're committing a crime against the people of the United States. I have some hope, and I hope this is not naive, that, you know, we finally may have landed on a true justice warrior in this special counsel that came back from The Hague. Mm -hmm. Let me tell you, Karen, I served with a lot of federal prosecutors. I supervised a lot of federal prosecutors and a lot of federal prosecutors supervised me, which was not easy because I was a management challenge. Because when they told me you can't bring that case, I said in, in my actions, well, you can go ahead and demote or fire me because I think this case needs to be brought because we have victims and communities out there who deserve to have their day in court and their chance at moving in the direction of healing. I usually won that battle, but I didn't always win the case that I brought, which I'm okay with. And this brings me back to Jack Smith. Jack Smith has brought cases against not only war criminals. When he was the head of the public integrity section, the PIN, at the Department of Justice, he brought cases against Republicans. He brought cases against Democrats. He brought cases against CIA officers, left right, center, it didn't matter. And here's what I love about Jack Smith's resume. He lost some of those cases, but it didn't matter because it was so important to bring them and to try to bring criminal politicians to justice that he said, no, I'm not only gonna bring the sure thing. Let me tell you, federal prosecutors will run around pounding their chest. I never lost a case. That's because you never tried a difficult mm. case. Come on. You know, Jack Smith is not afraid to bring difficult, politically charged cases. And when he left the Department of Justice, he didn't go to some cushy law firm to earn the big bucks. I never spent one day of my life in a law firm and I never will. I will put roofs on houses. I will work on commercial fishing boats. That's what that's where I come from as a gutter kid from Jersey. And but I will not go to a law firm and try to chase the almighty dollar, which is why I'm sitting here in my little homemade office fighting for justice as best I can from the outside after 30 plus years as a Fed. Um, Jack Smith didn't go out to make the big, he went to The Hague to get after war criminals. What does that tell you about where his heart is and just how determined he is to bring really bad folk to, just, to justice? So, so why, I, hope, why, I hope I'm not miscalculating yeah, no, that. So why, why is Jared Kushner still walking around? not prosecuted. No, we know he took money from the Saudis. We know this. 
Where did Trump get his money after going bankrupt six times? But yet he was able to not just run for president, be president with compromised interest. I'm not even talking about January 6th. I almost said 9-11, but it's all the same. I'm not even talking about January 6th. Like no investigation into where his money comes from. Tish James, Tisha James has, you know, done some things in New York, you know, to follow the money, but you're right. So if it doesn't happen, first of all, how do we make it happen? Cause I don't want to have a circular conversation and frustration about what people aren't doing. We, the people have to make it happen. How do we make it happen? You know, I, it's a question with no good answer, you know, beyond the vote, which is ordinarily how we get to have a say in our government and what happens, but we have seen that that has not worked out so good for us. You know, here's what I will say. First of all, I, I, I tell people, just because Trump hasn't been indicted yet does not mean he won't be indicted. I don't think for a minute, District Attorney Fawny Willis down there in Fulton County went through all the work of getting authorization to a panel and panel a special grand jury. He, she dragged 75 witnesses in there by the scruff of their neck, weak little boys like Lindsey Graham and Mike Flynn and Rudy Giuliani, who went running to the court looking for the judges to protect them. Don't make me testify about Donald Trump's crimes. I don't want to. Little Lindsey ran all the way up to the Supreme Court. And even the Supreme Court said, shut up and go testify. And they did. 75 witnesses Fawny Willis put before that grand jury and not a one of them wanted to testify. Then she got a, a report out of that special grand jury. And God bless Emily Coors. You know, people can say, well, she's quirky and the way she communicated. And maybe she shouldn't have talked all about what was going on in the grand jury. Most importantly, Judge McBurney vouched for her and said, no, she did exactly what she was entitled to do under the rules and under the laws of Georgia. So I don't want to hear the Trump lackeys pulling out the faint, fainting couch because, oh, my God, a grand juror talk. She was permitted to talk. And what did she tell us? Among other things, read between the lines when she was asked, did you did you recommend Trump be indicted? She said, we focused on that phone call. Find me eleven thousand seven hundred and eighty votes mm -hmm. and there will be no surprises. Nobody's going to be shocked. And so on top of that, she said, and more than a dozen people we recommended to be indicted. Do you really think Fawny Willis went through all that work and all that trouble to get that report only to say, never mind, I'm not indicting anybody. I'm telling you, I'm not a betting man. So, so when, I would when, bet Fawny the, Willis okay. is going to indict Donald Trump. I, I'm sure she wants to. I feel like the levers of power are are um, hidden. We don't know. We don't know. We don't know everything. Will you stick around? Will you stick yeah. around? Because I, I, I want to ask you about um, Israel in Iran. <laughs> this I want to ask you about China in America. Like there's there's a subtext. There's other things happening globally that also could impact us greatly uh, while we are busy worrying about um, CRT and uh, abortion and stuff and what all of the other people are doing. 
there's a lot of other things that could happen. And uh, we're not ready. Great Glenn Kirshner stuck around. We're trying to figure this out. Um, we are solutions oriented here. I don't like the circular conversations that I hear on on cable news. I feel like it's just there for fear mongering and clicks and algorithms. I, I We need to have serious conversations about how we move forward. Um, voting, I think, is step 10 in a 10 step process. I feel like right after Biden was elected, there needed to be a list of demands of what we want for our vote. And I'm already feeling the frustration seep in with people like, why am I voting for the Democrats? And I'm like, your life depends on it. People are tired of hearing that, but it's true. But people are tired of hearing about it. Where's the power to meet the power that we're fighting? Where is that in this country, Glenn? So um, there was a time when we used to get out in the streets and protest. Um, I, you know, I went to the BLM protest in D.C. where you know, every law enforcement agency known to man and some unknown to man because they weren't even wearing their insignia was deployed for, let's just call it crowd control. And yet January 6th, there was barely a police officer in sight and the brave police officers of the Capitol Police and my friends at the Metropolitan Police Department, you saw what happened to them. Why? Because the executive branch Donald Trump's executive branch deprived the Capitol of the resources it needed to defend against an attack Donald Trump launched. I mean, how we, if we don't reckon with that by charging Donald Trump, then again, I think we are lost as a republic. Um, there used to be a time when, you know, th there was civil disobedience. There were massive protests. I think, I don't know if you know, I, I do think when everything is lawless coming out of Trump and company, it makes it hard for the people to galvanize a, around any one issue. The last time it seems like we succeeded in doing it was behind police officers murdering George Floyd on video. Proudly, proudly so. Right. And I think that's when not only America, but the world stood up and said, enough. No, we've seen it before. We're done. That galvanized, that motivated. I haven't seen us galvanized and motivated that way behind, you know, all of the crimes of Trump and company or since Trump left office and there's been no accountability for what they've done. That's one of the few tools we have left is mass protest. And I'm sorry, civil disobedience, good trouble, right? Oh. I wouldn't advocate violence, but at least good trouble, right? Good trouble, Um on the heels of the sentencing of Derek Chauvin, another young black man was shot in the back in the same town. So if civil disobedience actually had an impact, we wouldn't have seen what happened in Tennessee a few weeks ago. Uh, well, actually we saw the video of what happened a few weeks ago, right? Um, I don't even know about civil disobedience. I, 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 and I said this at the time that the summer George Floyd will give a lot of money to a lot of institutions, organizations, HBCUs, that guilt fund will be there, but the window is going to be very tight. Y'all got maybe two years to get all of the money you can. Uh, and after that, the window is going to close. A lot of, a lot of companies hired for diversity, equity, and inclusion while newsrooms and corporations still are predominantly white male, especially newsrooms, right? you know, the producers, the people that make the decisions still are very white. So the protests, we still have empowered police 
militarized police who are still brutalizing far too many American citizens after George Floyd, somebody else got a knee on their neck. Right. So I don't, I don't even know if that's the solution because solutions to me bear results. Meaning we've, we've seen massive police reform. We haven't seen massive police reform. There's no, there's no massive movement in this country to reform the way we police human beings. That's a problem. Yeah. Um, and you know, I've, I've talked a number of times about just one man's view of police reform, um, because I was a career prosecutor, uh, particularly in D.C., which is a really unique jurisdiction in which to prosecute for a couple of reasons. One, we are the federal prosecutors and we are the local prosecutors. So I'm doing RICO cases uh, one one year and then I'm walking across the street to Superior Court, local court in the District of Columbia, D.C. in the state. So they don't get a, a D.A.'s office. Hopefully we'll change that someday and make D.C. a state. You know, I don't I don't see it happening anytime soon. But, you know, I kind of think, you know, representation is important. Um, but I would walk across the street and, and prosecute all the, the local cases as well. The murders, the rapes, the arsons, et cetera. And um, I got to see up close and personal, I think, more law enforcement agencies than anybody else, because in D.C., Yes, you've got the Metropolitan Police Department. Those are our local partners in crime fighting in D.C. But we also, as prosecutors, work with the FBI, the DEA, the ATF, the Park Police, the Capitol Police, the U.S. Marshal Service, the Secret Service Uniform Division, the Amtrak Police, the Postal Police, the Metro Police, the Smithsonian Police, and I could go on and on and on. I've seen as and then when I was an Army prosecutor starting back in the 80s, you know, I worked with the military police, the CID division. I, you know, so I've seen a lot of police or in DC, as we call them, the police. I've seen a lot and I've worked with a lot of them. I still believe most of them are in it for the right reasons to protect and serve. However, when you get people who are drawn to law enforcement because of the hate they have inside them and they want the power and they want the badge on their chest and the gun on their hip and they want to be able to order us out of our cars because it makes them feel brave and strong and important. That, in my view, is what police reform looks looks like. Karen, you can ban a chokehold. You can ban a certain weapon being carried on a belt. None of that matters if the person who is policing is not in it for the right reasons, to protect and serve, lead with empathy, right? So, so that's how, do you, I how do you how do you make that happen? You know, uh, oh, here's, what, here's, what, here's how I think what, we make it happen. I think... It, it, it basically three parts. And I know this is going to sound quick and easy and almost trite, but it is the reality that I've come to. First of all, you need extreme vetting of people who want the badge and the gun. Extreme vetting with, with full citizen participation, because guess what? Nobody can hide their tendencies anymore. They live these lives online I'm going to crawl so far up your social media accounts that you're not going to be able to hide your racist, your misogynistic, your homophobic, and your xenophobic tendencies. You need not apply. And if you do apply, I'm going to figure it out. And I'm going to do it with full citizen participation. Because, Karen, look, we get to vote for people and send them to the state house, send them to the school board, send them to Washington, and they have some impact over our lives day to day. They're making policy. 
They're saying you got to pay more taxes or less taxes. Guess what? We don't get to vote for the public officials who have the most direct impact on our lives. The police. Maybe we should. Maybe that Maybe should be on should. the ballot. You know, because I, I feel like policing, just like this country, was founded in terror. The police in this country were founded through enslavement for people to go get black bodies that escape slavery and bring them back. That's the foundation. So it's always been about policing. Even after emancipation, it was about gathering black bodies who were loitering, (laughs) you know, like they started making up these loitering because you no longer are working on a plantation. So if you're not working, that's a crime. We're going to sentence you to 30 years on a chain gang. You know, that's the foundation of policing. So it attracts what it is. I, I feel like, Again, we have to start to tell the truth about these institutions that that controls our lives, because you're right. You know, I'm a law abiding taxpayer. I paid more taxes last year than Elon Musk and Warren Buffett combined. All right. And I could get pulled over. and My whole life could be upended in an encounter with somebody that's not even worthy to have a conversation with me, let alone judge my my criminality. And can criminalize me for insubordination. They don't like how I talk, what, what, how I looked at them. My whole life can be altered by somebody who means me no harm simply because they have a license, a badge, and a gun to be able to do that. That should never happen in America, especially not for I a say. traffic stop. So maybe we, maybe you don't get to pull me over with a gun for running a red light or having a tail light out. You know. Maybe. Yeah. yeah. And so I think part one, extreme vetting with full citizen participation. Right. If 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 I'm going to be policed, I want some say in who polices me. That only sounds fair. Right. In in a democracy. So then part two is 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 extreme testing and training with full citizen participation, not just at the academy, you know, not just a 60 day wonder and put them on the street. Early and often and throughout a career, week by week, month by month, with full citizen participation and extreme. I think extreme vetting is most important. Let, me ask, you, let me ask you. Let me ask you. And then the, the third one is, okay, is third extreme, one. Um, extreme accountability with full citizen participation. One strike and you're out. No two strikes, no three strikes, no moving to another police force. I was going to say, what about a database? What about a federal, no. a federal database? Where if you did something in one place, you can't, you know, you're in a database that we just like sex offenders, right? There's a sex offender database. Why not a bad police database? What about the unions? Why shouldn't the unions be on the hook when their police officers do something since they are the biggest ones protecting them? If the unions were on the hook financially and not the citizens, the taxpayers. So we're even paying out money to families that have been aggrieved out of our taxpayer dollars for something that somebody has done. There's something inherently wrong with that. Yeah. And I'm a, I'm, I'm a union supporter. My grandfather, who, when I turned eight years old, started taking me out to learn how to paint houses. And I love painting houses and I will leave the practice of the law in a minute to paint houses. And he let, he left school in third grade to go out and help his family survive rose to the upper echelons of one of the biggest painters unions in New York. And I idolized him. I'm a big believer in unions and unions in my view. I got one question for you before you tell me about how many black people were in that union. Uh, I don't, I can't say I know. I'm I'm saying, you know, somebody that worked at the daily news and we first year I was on the job, they had a strike for the pressmen and the drivers. And I struggled. I had a moral uh, come to Jesus moment when I realized that they 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 did not allow black people in their unions. And I said, so you want my black ass to be out 
of work for people who denied anybody that looked like me on their union. Well, you got to support the union. I'm like, not at any, everything has to be examined through a lens of fairness. That's yeah. anecdotal. It's great that your yeah, grandfather yeah, yeah. was able to have that opportunity, but my grandfather did not have that opportunity. So there's a problem here for me in terms of a wholesale support of unions. We have to examine all of that, but I'm, I, I apologize. I'm I just you, can't I hope yeah. unions have progressed some, since they were, you know, banning folk from joining based on skin color, right? But my view of a union is something that's supposed to help the workers, right? Help help install some fairness as between the workers and management. Here's my complaint with police unions. Um, the workers are the ones with the power, the police officers. So it feels incongruous. I don't usually use big words you know, delicatessen is usually the biggest word I I, I go with, but it, it feels incongruous, inconsistent to say we need a police union to protect the workers. The workers are the ones with the guns and the badges who are holding all the power over the citizens. So is that really where we need the union to come in to rescue the workers? The, the police unions, I think, do as much, if not more harm than good. Why? because they will support the police at all costs, even when the police are wrong and engaged in excessive force and violating civil rights and all. Well, then I don't think you're really worthy of the of the title union, you know? So yes, do the police unions need to be reformed? Is that part of the policing problem? No doubt. How do you fix it? I wish we all had answers to, okay, what is the magic pill? How do you fix it? I think we fix it by doing everything we can do that we do every day, even though it doesn't feel like it's enough. Make me king and I will fix it in one day. <laughs> I know exactly what I would do. Um, 866-801-8255. We're talking with Glenn Kirshner. Um, Iran and Israel, look they look like uh, something's going to happen there. Escalating tensions between these two nations that uh, buttress up against one another. They touch. Uh, Iraq is right there. Uh, Syria is right there. Saudi Arabia is right there. And there's Israel. Um, this, these two countries are on a verge of war. Uh, experts agree on the possibility of military conflict, but a lot of folk are saying something's going to happen. And within the next 12 days, with both of them having some sort of nuclear capabilities uh, and with America having no choice, we painted ourselves into a box where we have to support, right? We have to support Israel. So what, what, what do you think is going to happen? It's so complicated when you look at, it, you know, we're is, allies and it, and it, with Saudi Arabia. Why are we allies with them? I mean, it's so uh, weird. This is not good. And then we, we decimated Iraq on a lie. Like we never apologize for that, by the way, you know, we deposed a sitting leader on a lie and George Bush never had to be accountable. We're talking about holding Trump accountable. It's complicated, Glenn Kirshner, but we should it's, have it's, this it's, conversation. It's complicated, but it's not. I mean, okay. right is right and wrong is wrong. And if we if we were determined to hold ruling class criminals accountable for their crimes, it wouldn't be all that. It, it would still be politically complicated. But, you know, it, the, the thing is, we don't really care so much about right or wrong. We care about power and money. And privilege, and that's what we care, and that's what drives our decision-making train. But, now, let me oh, tell you, Karen, oh, okay. I, I would not for a minute hold myself out as a leader on world politics okay. and All what's right. going just... on over there. But I do have a keen interest in what's going on, in particular, in Iran, right? Because of the uprising there, 
uh, Masa Amini being killed for showing too much of her hair. My wife, Nilufar, and her family fled Iran after the revolution in 1979. And I have a healthy appreciation for what's going on over there. And those are people, and I've done videos and appearances about this. We have to support them. Now, that's a whole yeah, different... Yeah, but Netanyahu's... Uh, this is weird because Netanyahu's catching, you know, for being what he is as well. He's he's also very problematic, right? And the people Ruling in Israel are criminal. protesting. Yeah, they're protesting against him for trying to take over the courts. So we got two nations, two leaders, both problematic, both going, you know, looking at each other, fighting. The people on the ground are like, this is untenable. It, it's and, and then America's going to come in with its complicated ass and say what exactly? Like, really? America has a leg to stand on? Really? We don't have moral authority anymore. That's all I'm we saying. We do not like, have moral authority. We used to pretend to. We don't anymore. All right, we can't last, get our own house in order. Um, China. And I only bring it up because they go to war. We're, we're, we're involved. China floating balloons, <laughs> threatening us, you know, like wh- while we're fighting here, all the little, little things, I don't think we are ready for that kind of conflict and what that even means for us. Have you contemplated it? And Russia as well is, is rattling their nuclear saber. Right. But I, you know, here's, I'm a, I'm a little pragmatic when it comes to the China's and the Russia's and, and, and any of the countries with, with nuclear capabilities. I don't think most of them are willing to give up their power and their privilege and their money and their palaces to engage in nuclear Armageddon. I really don't. I think they will I think they will posture and threaten and bluff and bluster and get whatever advantage out of all of that that they can. But I also think none of them want to wipe themselves off the face of the map because most of these world leaders are narcissists. And what they don't want to do is having it all taken away from them. And that's what gives me at least some comfort that they're not going to be pushing nuclear buttons, not not because they're kind or compassionate or thoughtful or strategic thinkers. It's because they're so desperately narcissistic that they kind of know that's the end of them. And there's nothing in the world more important to a narcissist than than them. Mm, No, than being known throughout time as being the one to, to usher in Armageddon. I think, you know, go out in a blaze. What do you have to lose? And they got bunkers and oligarchs with a lot of money. They're, they're probably going to be somewhere safe while they blow, watch the world blow up and put their cigar in the, in the, in the fire and smoke it. I, I don't have as much optimism as you do in these folk. I feel like they will do anything, but we'll see. Uh, I just need us to love each other. Um, before I let you go, Glenn Kirsten, and hopefully you'll come back. Um, you know, you are optimistic that Trump will be indicted. That I am. That are, okay. What's the over under? <laughs> so I'm not a betting person. Uh, I'm not a high roller. Uh, One dollar is my limit. I would okay. bet a buck that Fawny Willis in the coming weeks okay. will return the first indictment against the former president of the United States. And I don't think Jack Smith is going to be far behind. Here's the thing. I know prosecutors. And once one prosecutor has the backbone, and I think Fawny Willis does more so than anybody else, to step up and do the right thing, even though it's very hard, every other prosecutor is going to have a little bit of jealousy. Like, well, Trump committed crimes in my jurisdiction, too, so I better get off the stick because now I look bad. I look like I'm not doing my job. 
I believe the dam is going to break. I hope the hell I'm not wrong about that, but I believe the dam is going to break. Okay. HU, Howard University's own, Fawny Willis, you know HU, Emory University Law School, and all of that, Fulton County, uh, Georgia's district attorney. So will you come back? Will you come back when she does this and let's do a victory lap and a high five virtually and let's talk about the future because I feel like that will be the domino that needs to fall for us to even start talking about what comes next. Agreed. All right. Well, listen, it's good to see you. Thank you for coming through today. I appreciate you, Glenn. Two ends, Kirshner, Jersey. Shout out to Jersey. We appreciate that. Hey, this is Karen Hunter. You can listen to the Karen Hunter Show live every Monday through Friday at 3 p.m. East on Sirius XM Urban View Channel 126 or anytime on the Sirius XM app.